Are you ready? Now back to Heatway Sports. Moving to hour two of Heatway Sports, Fox Sports Radio, every Saturday, Sunday night. And we'll spend a nice Father's Day tomorrow with you guys after a busy day of sports, Tom. And we saw tonight in hockey a huge Game 4 situation for the Islanders. A, a must-win, really, when you look at it. After losing Game 3 on their home ice two nights ago, they put up a three spot in the second period. And then hold on, Tommy. Tampa was coming for them in the third. They got two. They got to within a goal. And uh, just a, a nice, nice play there towards the end to save this game. The Islanders win as a dog on their home ice again. The series is tied at two now, heading back to Tampa. Uh, you said nice play, Tim. I'll go one better. I think that'll be considered one of the greatest plays in hockey history if the Islanders do something big this year. Uh, and I'm not even talking about winning the Cup. If they win this round, I think that's one of the greatest saves in hockey history. It was unbelievable. The way that McDonough swung that around and you know took the shot, Absolutely unbelievable. You'll see it all day long, all night long. You'll see it on the highlights 10 years from now because it, it really was that impressive. Now, we have we know that in sports, that the guy that makes the impressive play, if they lose, it kind of gets lost in history, doesn't it? Um, I remember a, uh, a certain Mets center fielder making a great play, but the Yankees went on to win the World Series. Nobody, nobody pays attention to it, right? Even though it was a great play. If the Islanders beat Tampa Bay, that play will go down as one of the greatest goals, uh, goal saves in, in the history of hockey. That's how important I think it was. But overall, yeah, look, you look at the Islanders, and we knew they were going to be dangerous for the series. Now, I still think Tampa is massively better. Uh, I think they're more massively more talented. But look, the series is tied. It's a three-game series now, and the Islanders have all of the momentum strictly because we, we called it. This game, this series goes six or seven. Islanders just sit back and they go, we have no pressure. Now, it'll give you an idea of how people believe that these two teams are combined because Tampa is a two-to-one favorite now going into the next game. But guys, this is still an Islander team that plays really well. They play tight. They play uh, aggressive defense. And they've shown through three rounds of playoffs right now, this is a championship caliber team. still think Tampa Bay is a better team. I do. Um, I thought that all along, but you can start to see where the Islanders are just a dangerous team and at home, especially I said to you off the air and I've mentioned this on the air quite a few times. It's not a slight to Vegas Golden Knight fans, but Islanders where they play in Uniondale at the Coliseum is the loudest arena in hockey. There's not a lot of hockey fans that would argue with that outside of Las Vegas, right? Because Vegas always thinks that it is the loudest, and you guys, you're up there. But this is the loudest. It's the craziest atmosphere. So for Tampa Bay to go in there and to lose against the Islanders in that spot, yeah, okay. I'm not that upset if I'm a Tampa Bay fan. It was a tough way to, to lose. You're down 3 nothing. You fight back to 3-2, and that last block was just a, a, a heart-wrenching block. But isn't there a lot of takeaways from this if you're Tampa and you go, well, you know what? At the end of the day, what really happened? We came back from 3-0, dominated the game in the second and third periods, 
moving on. We should have tied the game unless it was a miracle kind of situation. And now we got to win two of three, two of them being at home. I'm not doom and gloom if I'm a Tampa Bay fan right now. Two of the next three at home, if if necessary, obviously, in a situation where I, I don't think that, you know, much like the series we'll talk about in a minute, it wasn't that everybody was saying, oh, the Islanders have no chance here. It was, look, Tampa's good. They, they're the defending champions, but the Islanders are, are, are very good as well and had a tougher road in this playoffs than, than Tampa has. And, and I had it, I, I believe I had 4-2 Tampa, which can still happen, Tom, and they could very well win the next two games and it'd be done. You know, it's I give everything to, to the Islanders. I think that they've, uh, they've played unbelievable here in the playoffs. They had a great season. And when you look at the way that this series has gone, they stole game one on the road. Tampa took it right back from them in game three. And now we're here where we're at with Tampa still having, right, Tommy, that home ice. And in order to win this series, the, uh, the Islanders have to win one more game in, in, in the light in, in Tampa, right? They have to at least win one there. And we're already seeing lines, 180, 190. I mean, I like Tampa in game five, obviously. And I think if they win game five, that place is going to be absolutely nuts, Tommy, in game six. And we'll get a low-scoring game. And it'll come down to the battle of the goalies. And for something tells me that um, maybe, maybe the Islanders can push it to a game seven. But, you know, anything happens. We've seen that in these playoffs when the goalies get involved. And I still like the, the side that we're on, Tom. I still like the best goaltender. Yeah, I do too. I, I'm still sitting back and I'm saying, you know, I think that this goes seven, but I don't think the Islanders win in seven. You know, is that fair enough to say? I, I, I'm going to say seven, but I still think Tampa Bay wins in seven. And this is not a slight to the Islanders. It's just a matter. I can't wrap my head around um, the Islanders now winning two of three, two down in Tampa. If this was two or three and two of them in New York, I'm going, you know what? Islanders probably going to win. I think it's that kind of series, but it's, Two of three, two of them in Tampa. I just think it's too much. Too much to get past Vasilevsky and too much to keep holding this team down. We watch breakouts of offense, and it happened late in the game tonight, right, where the Islanders just flat out couldn't stop anybody from from scoring. And what happened to Tampa Bay tonight? They just ran out of time. (laughs) You know? I mean, if if you watch that game, if that went into overtime, there was a 0% chance the Islanders were winning. There, There was just none. Tampa found their offense. They found their goal scoring, and they were just peppering the goal. And, and I think if they went into overtime or if the game was extended two minutes, they would have won that game. Uh, I mean, even even at the end of the game, they were on a power play where the Islanders and Tampa was just in their zone, you know, shooting the puck. I think that we're going to see a lot of that in game six. The line was 180, like you said, 180, 190. I saw two to one, and it's nearly impossible to go out there and make them bet on this game because Tampa should win. And I think Tampa Bay does win. But I'm not giving the Islanders plus 170 back. That that's the key thing is what you said is that if you're looking at dissecting the game, that Tampa was coming for him in the third. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know if you know the Islanders laxed up with a three nothing lead and then they just kind of allowed them to creep back in there. But the the way that flow of that game was going, much like the game that happened last night in Montreal, was if they got the equalizer. Tampa was winning in OT, like you said. And I think tomorrow or uh, Monday, when we see game five, we might get a repeat of game two, Tommy, where Tampa just kind of peppered them from the start and won that game easily. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a 4-1 type of game, you know, 5-2 type of game. Uh, it just because Tampa is, they found something offensively. I don't know what they found, 
but they found something offensively where the Islanders looked out of sorts late in the game. So let's let's go back 24 hours, Tom. Let's talk about. Um, I, I guess I'll start it this way. It's not that we didn't, because we we preface this. We're like, look, if you're expecting this to be a four nothing sweep, a four one situation, could it could it happen? Yes, very well could have happened. But all the variables that we talked about in this preview of the series, starting with the goaltending, was that Montreal has a fighting chance here and that they fought throughout these whole playoffs, right, Tom? You're down 3-1 to Toronto, which is a very explosive offensive team, much like Vegas. They could have just packed it in. It was, you know, Tom, look, Montreal barely made the playoffs, right? They were the last team to qualify. Calgary was hot on their their trails uh, when, when they made the team. And they're barely over a 500 team to begin with, but they make the playoffs. They go down 3-1 to a very good Toronto team. I know you could say the injury there uh, played a part of it, but they still had to come back and win three games, and they did it. Game two, or series two, I think Winnipeg, they caught them off guard, and, and they just put them away. And now we're here in, in this series with the VGK team where they were a – Tommy, I'm looking at – the ticket plus 450 for the series was Montreal. That tells you everything you need to know. Yet here we are with a game situation of a game four tomorrow, and they're up two games to one. Tim, we're both sitting here with tickets on Montreal because how, I mean, how ridiculous is it that people just didn't understand what this team was? And I'm going to go and, and toot my own horn. I put this out on Twitter today because it really is. When we sat back, and I had people write in. You guys can write in. It's at Tom Barton Sports, at HW Sports. Give us a call. It's 876-1340. We're talking a little Knights hockey now. And I told you guys before the series, everything to me, everything. You talked about the goalies. I said, you're right. I think Price and Flurry are playing about the same right now. Oh, boy, Tim. Oh, that got Vegas Knights fan ruffled up, didn't it? Yeah. I said, listen. I think Montreal is playing at the same level as Vegas right now. Oh, that they got people. But my number one thing was this. Power play. The Montreal Canadiens on the power play are phenomenal on both sides. Vegas, not so much. So I got a great stat. I didn't put this out. I retweeted it. You guys can go check it out at Tom Barton Sports. The stat of the playoffs here. Montreal has been shorthanded in the playoffs now. 40 times, Tim, they've allowed three power play goals. They've scored four shorthanded goals. How insane is that? When I talked to you guys about the power play, and I said that this is the key to the series, this is still the key to the series. This is still the key to if Montreal is going to advance or not. And guess what? Right now, today, looks like they are. Because Vegas can't solve it. And look, to the credit, neither could Toronto or Winnipeg. But Vegas can't solve the power play. Montreal is playing on another level, power play-wise. And I'll tell you what. Carey Price, 10-4, 9.32 save percentage. This is the, the historic runs that we talk about. We've been talking about it since I've been on the air with you. That in hockey, like no other sport, does a goalie getting hot just change the trajectory of everything? You never, ever, ever talk about uh, you know a nine and seven football team or an eight and eight football team, the last team to back into the playoffs, but the the quarterback gets hot and he wins the Super Bowl. 
It doesn't happen. You never talk about, in Major League Baseball, a team that, you know, is a wild card play-in team, but they got one starter, he goes crazy. No, 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 that doesn't happen in other sports. It doesn't happen. Even in basketball, you don't see an eighth seed with a good player just getting crazy hot. As good as Trey Young was, what were they, a four or a five seed, right? It, you don't see it. This is Montreal. This is the last team in. But because Carey Price is phenomenal right now and the power play is devastating, well, what do you have? You have a 2-1 series lead at home. They're at home, Tim. And now, I get it. Again, no one's giving them credit, even now. But in 24 hours from now, Tim, if this series is 2-2, they still have a chance. If this series is 3-1, close the book on Vegas. They're not coming back. It would almost be like a repeat of last year with the situation against Dallas. They just, <clears throat> Dallas figured them out. And they just put them, they put them out, they put them out the bubble, Tom, and, you know, on their way to the finals. And, and you know, when I look at the Canadiens, and I, I said this on the show when we previewed it, you can run the tape back if people doubt it. Look, we know. You said it, I said it. Eighth team in, basically. But there's veterans on this team that have won in the playoffs before, and I think you're seeing a lot of that in, in the guys like Shea Weber, Tommy on the back end. Corey Perry, who took a just an awful stick to the face on the you know guys that have won cups, guys like Eric Stahl, veterans that are on this team that create a different outlook in that dressing room to the youth there, and provide uh, just veteran leadership on the ice. And you see it again. You know, you talk about a team that you want to throw everything against them. You're the last team in. You're down three one. You're coming back from this. Now your head coach has COVID. Tom, right? You know what they have on their bench, though? They have three former players on that bench. Luke Richardson, who ran the team last night. Sean Burke, you know, goaltender. Great goaltender in the 90s. Alec Burrows, who played for, for many years in the NHL. They have all this experience that they're not afraid anymore. And I don't think they were ever afraid to begin with, Tommy. I just think they were a team that had injury problems in the during the regular season. And they had youth that had to learn to adjust to the game. And guess what? It's all coming together right now. And for every excuse I see that, oh, well, Vegas' top two lines are producing. Yeah, that's easy to say because look at the scores and look at the stats. Maybe it's Montreal that's keeping those two top two timelines from performing, Tommy. Nobody's giving Montreal credit. I think that's, that's the problem here. And again, we see it. Look at, look at the uh, line for, for tomorrow's game. It went from $1.30, Tommy, to now it's $1.80 Vegas. And yeah, it's easy to say, you know what, Vegas can come out and score five goals tomorrow and everything will be okay, just like the Colorado series, right? That's exactly what we saw in Colorado series. But maybe they don't. And that's something we need to consider because I tell you what, at this spot in the series, Carey Price, definitely a better goalie than Philip Grubauer was at game uh, four in the series. Again, veteran goalie, right, Tommy? We're talking about Montreal's veteran-laden. I think it's, it's showing its colors right now. And, and let's be honest. Carey Price is playing better than Theo Fleury. I'm mean, than uh, Mark Andre Fleury, right? Sure, sure. Just turned aside 43 shots. I mean, he's he's performing better than him right now, uh, and, and right now is what matters. Let's also uh, not breeze over the fact that yes, Montreal was without their head coach. I, I mean, how much credit do you have to give this Montreal team for doing that without their head coach? And they're up two one against the Vegas Golden Knights, which they were five to one underdogs on the betting line going in. I mean, unbelievable. Let, let's just continue to bow to Montreal and what they're doing. I still believe 
that they could win this series. I still believe that they probably will. And one of the reasons, Tim, I, I know obviously the X's and O's has the power play and, and price and whatnot. All right, Vegas fans, take a deep breath. You got real angry, and, and Chris Wynn pointed this out uh, on a, a great thing that on Twitter. Because Vegas Golden Knight fans got mad at me for saying, you know what, their fan base is, is certainly not top 10. And I said, I don't even know if I put them in the top 20. And Chris Wynn retweeted something that the USA Today put out where the fan base is, is ranked number 22. So you fan base guys, you're going to get very angry at my next statement. The legacy of the Vegas Golden Knights is starting to become failure in the playoffs. Yeah, Starting to become, and I talked about this before, the, this, the entire playoffs starting to become, uh-oh, crush under the pressure. Starting to become, well, this is all on your shoulders. It's very similar to what I just said about the Embiid and Philadelphia 76ers situation with Ben Simmons. All you need is one. One time you change the narrative, right? One time you switch it all around. One time you win the Atlanta Braves are not the Buffalo Bills, right? One time. But guess what? With every loss, that pressure comes a little bit harder right now. Coming into this series, Vegas, a 5-1 to one favorite, they had to beat Montreal. They had to. There was no letting up. that You had to win that series. Or your legacy of the perennial loser starts to get more impacted. All of a sudden, down 2-1 on the road in Montreal, Tim, how much pressure is on Vegas Golden Knights tomorrow? Well, the, the pressure's been building since game two, really, when they lost on their home ice. Um, I think people, fans, not people, fans of the Vegas Golden Knights thought they would come out in, in game three and just destroy Montreal. And when it didn't happen, you know, um, I thought they, th here's the thing. They they figured that we'll get game three, we'll get game four, we'll, we'll close it out on home ice, everything's happy, Dory. That's the way it should be. And you know what, Tom? They had a 3-2 lead with two minutes to go in the game. And I don't even, look, Flurry made a mistake, and it cost him. And and you know it's it's hard to to say that was the 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 reason they lost the game. It kind of was. I mean, really, when you look at it, it was. But they never recovered from that, and, and you saw this momentum just shift. That whole overtime was dominated by Montreal. I had that feeling. I was like, look, they're they're Pepper and Fleur, they're eventually going to score here, and they did. And I think now the pressure really stems on. Look at the guys like that they paid all this money to. Mark Stone, who showed up in late in the Colorado series, was able to, to guide them into that win. But where, where's Carlson at, right, Tommy? The guy they love so much out here, they paid all that money to. Where's Pacioretty at? These guys have to show up, and they very much they very much do that. They may win the series, they may sweep their way their way through to the next round, but you got to do it first, right? And that that's what it comes down to. The pressure has to be enormous. It's it's way more pressure than it was being down two nothing to Colorado just a week and a half ago. Yeah, you lose to Colorado, you go, you know what? Ah, it's Colorado, right? And they were a great team and all of that. that that's all fine. Tim, you go out there and you lose to Montreal. Uh, and in a fashion like this, I, I don't know. We just talked about breaking up and blowing up the Sixers. Nobody wants to have this conversation in Vegas because they still think, you know what? This series is theirs. But if they lose this series, Tim, how long do you just keep going back to the well with a team that just can't get by? How long have, do you do you keep going back? Yeah, they don't have the money to do that. That's the problem with they they've uh, 
they're capped, you know, basically when they, you sign all these long-term, you've seen it, Tom, and you sign all these long-term deals, you have to pay the piper eventually. And maybe the windows two more years, maybe you, you just can't keep signing free agent studs like Peter Angelo and stone and getting stone in a deal, you know, a trade where you basically give up nothing and then sign them long-term. Eventually you have to pay on those bills and we'll see if they, like you said, though, if they win one, it, it was worth it. Right, Tom? They got to win the one, and the problem is that Montreal is not going anywhere. They're not going to just keep. Obviously, they, they know they can beat Vegas. So this series got a lot, lot tougher last night, and things happen in the playoffs, Tom. That that thing that happened to Flurry, you would have never thought that was going to happen. It looked like Vegas was going to win that game and, and move on to a situation where they could, at worst case scenario, have the opportunity to uh, play game five tied at two. Now they have an opportunity to go home down 3-1, and it, like you said, it changes the series dramatically. It's going to be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. I think Montreal's figured out a way to contain those top two lines and stopping Vegas from scoring fast. Can they maintain it, though? That's what it's going to come down to. And, you know, it, it overall, it changes the perception of this team. I told you, going into that Colorado and, and, and Vegas, and even before that, before the playoffs began, I said, whoever wins that Colorado and Vegas series is going to be the champion. And I'm not really pulling off of that right now, um, but I'm damn close to it, Tim. Watching these games, I still believed, and I get it, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail here, but I still believe that Colorado played a better game, uh, played a better series than Vegas. Now, they, they didn't get the win. Okay. I still believe that they played a, a better series than Vegas. Vegas got the win, of course. Montreal is playing a better series than Vegas again. And you're going to get caught. I don't know if Montreal is going to be the team to catch them. Can it be the Islanders? Can it be Tampa? I'm starting to believe that maybe it could be. I already put Vegas uh, you know, uh, there before the playoffs began. I said to you, the Vegas Colorado winning it all. But I did, have, I did take some money on Montreal at this value. And I'm looking at tomorrow's line, Tim, and I'm saying, I'm getting plus 150, plus 155 at home with a Montreal team that has outplayed the Vegas Golden Knights. That's tempting, Tim. In the post-game interview, Vegas Golden Knight coach Pete DeBoer had said um, something he said in the Colorado series. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase it in that he liked the way that they played. He thought that they dominated the game. And look, mistakes happen. And what game is he watching? Yeah, exactly. Because I think the point was that they got lucky to take the lead in the third, right? And they were holding on to that. My my whole thing is, what is he supposed to say though? Like we we look at the game. These guys play the game. Is that was that supposed to be some type of a motivational tool? Because I don't think those guys in the locker room were like, oh yeah, we won that game. We just lost. Look, you lost. That's the problem. You lost. But enough of this. And I've heard this uh, through Vegas Golden Knight Twitter all the time. Oh, wait, we dominate. No, you didn't dominate anything. You don't listen. You can say we we played better. You could say if you want to be uh, head coach and you want to be head coach Pete and go out there and say, you know what? I wouldn't change a thing. You know what I mean? A, a bad break and we get the outcome. I, all right. I can live with that. To use terms like we've dominated the game. Get out of here. What are you talking about? Yeah. You didn't dominate the game. You dominated the game as a 5-1 final, and we're not having this conversation. You know what I mean? Like, you've been outplayed in this series. The end. 
Just take it for what it is. And the problem is, Tim, is I feel like this coach is going to shoot himself in the foot going, we're just going to keep doing the same exact thing because we know we're better than them. And Montreal is going, oh, please keep doing exactly the same thing. Please do exactly the same thing. Because if you keep doing exactly the same thing, we're going to the cup finals. Yeah, we, we dominate them, so we're just going to continue on with the same game plan. Right. But but you lost. But we're down 2-1 in the series. It's, it's, um, it's funny that the when you look at really the makeup of, of the team and, and what about the the aspect from former Golden Knights playing in this game, right, Tom? Like Nick Suzuki, young young guy, they, they you know, the he came it was in the patches the patches trade. He's fast and we've seen that speed in this series. You have Thomas Tatar who they gave up on and even John Merrill got some actually he played some solid minutes on on the D line last night. You think these guys don't have a little extra incentive, Tom, to beat them? You know they do. And not only a little extra incentive, maybe they maybe they know. Maybe they're coming over there with a little bit of uh, understanding of, all right, guys, here's their weak spot, right? I, I was there. This guy doesn't like this. You know, you could go you could go left to him. He doesn't like it down low. He, he doesn't. You never know those little tiny advantages. Uh, they're big in sports, and especially in sports where you have. Uh, you know, in big time situations. At the end of the day, Tim, Flurry and Price are going to play well. At the end of the day, Vegas Golden Knights are going to have a better offense. Montreal's probably got the better defense. At the end of the day, these two teams are way more equally, <laughs> you know, matched up than anybody uh, would have ever imagined. But the number one stat, we'll go back to what I started with, Tim. If Vegas can't figure out the power play, Montreal's winning the series. The fact that Alex Pietrangelo is your leading scorer and he's a defenseman, Tom, in this series is a glaring, glaring sign of what the problem is. And if they don't fix it tomorrow, this series is done and they may lose it on their home ice. And, and you know, Tim, there's also the emotional aspect. And we often, I talked about this, um, you know, on my show at Sports Garden Network quite a few times. There's the emotional aspect. We look at this, especially in the fantasy world that we live in and looking at stats and Twitter and this and that. We look at these guys as robots. But there is an emotional bump when you go, oh, man, we got a penalty. Oh, here we go. Think about it as a fan, how you get it. Well, they get the same thing. We got a penalty. Here we go. This is our chance. And time after time after time after time, you can't capitalize on that penalty. Well, that all of a sudden gets into your psyche. And on the same vein of it, it pumps up Montreal, doesn't it? It, it pumps up that team because, oh, man, we're up against it. We got a penalty. Wow, we shut it down again. Wow, we shut that penalty down again. Oh, here we go again. Now they're not afraid. You know what? Maybe I might take that extra hit. Maybe I might be just a little more aggressive because I'm not worried about going shorthanded here. I'm not worried about the penalty so let me play a little bit more aggressive. It's stuff like that that is the game within the game that people don't talk about. Vegas has not been... Let's just say it, right? They, they, it's not that they've dominated these playoffs. They went seven games with Minnesota in round one. Yes, they were able to take out the Avs in six, but again, a series that they, they were outplayed most of. And now they're struggling here against what we call the eighth seed in the playoffs. There's a lot of problems here, and like you said, even if they can get out of the series, right, Tom? If they win the next three games, I, I wouldn't be surprised, right? You just figure 
a better team will, will eventually show up, but maybe they're just not the better team. And even if they do win the series, like you said, is there enough left to face a Tampa? Or is there enough left to face an Islanders? Those are two different styles of hockey that they would be playing. So it's it's a tough road to hoe here for Vegas, and they put themselves in their own. They put themselves in this spot on their own. I really do wonder what the conversation is going to be tomorrow night. You know, is the conversation going to be two two all's right with the world? Because at two two, I still don't think all's right with the world. I don't care if the island, if the uh, Vegas Golden Knights go out there and win eight one tomorrow, right? I don't think two two at all. All is right with the world, or is it going to be three one, and people still going? You know what? We can still come back. You know, at three one, and you've been outplayed now. If they lose tomorrow, that you've outplayed the entire series. I, I just I worry about the Vegas Golden Knights mindset going into tomorrow, but I also worry about it coming out because the players often have a very similar mindset to the fans where if they go and, and tie it up 2-2, here we go again. Vegas going, yeah, you know, it's Montreal. Eh, they got lucky. Ah, well, we're going to listen to Coach Pete and say we dominated the series. And I think that's a dangerous spot. Finally, I think that, you know, they, fans at least are starting to go, oh, wow, this Montreal team is actually pretty good. But then I, I hear a lot of people's going, oh, they got lucky. And then I hear a head coach going, yeah, they dominated. Still getting no credit, Tim. Still getting no credit. You're playing into uh, their hands, so to speak. You're giving them extra motivation. I, I expect, and I, everybody knows me as the hater, right, Tom? I expect they, they win tomorrow and they tie the series up. That's That's how I feel right now. But you're right. It's a juicy, juicy line if you like the style that Montreal's been putting to them. And does that line go up a little bit more tomorrow before game time, Tom? It probably will. You know, I think they win. I think they go home with an opportunity to, to write the series by playing on their home ice and putting themselves back in the driver's seat. But I'm not, you know, the little part of I don't think they're winning a game. I don't think they're winning a game six in Montreal. Right. That was the key to the winning one last night was they get to go back home at least – if they're going to lose, they can lose it on their home ice, right, Tom? Not on the road. Before they, the series started, I told you, I saw Game 7 in Vegas, and I said, I just don't think Montreal has enough to go to win a Game 7 in Vegas. Right. And I, I'm, I'm still sitting here today going, you know what? I still think it goes 7. I still think Vegas probably wins in 7. But, oof, I'm real close to flipping that script. Yeah, you don't want to put yourself in that situation. Let's just put it that way. We know how it is, and, and going up against Price in a Game Seven, sure. And overtimes have not been friendly to Vegas. We know that, right? We know that. I don't know. We'll see. I think tomorrow is going to be a, a lot will be said. It's going to be great to see how the show flows tomorrow, depending on the win or the loss, right, Tom? I'm, I'm really, really, really looking forward. There's very few spots in my life uh, through my professional career of sports betting where I'm going, I'm not going to bet on the game. I told you it was tempting, but I already have enough on Montreal series. I'm not going to bet on the game, but man, I, I, this is must watch TV. There's not a lot of spots in my world, you know, my sports world for those type of games. Tomorrow is that type of game. I don't care where you are in the country. Tomorrow's that type of game. Game seven, Philadelphia. I know everyone's going to be talking about that. I hope that's a good game, but I kind of expect that to be won by Philly. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow in Vegas, Montreal. I actually, you think that Vegas is going to win? I actually kind of lean Montreal 
I won't take them, but I think it's a coin flip game. Could Flurry be tired, Tom, mentally and physically? I mean, you know, he's played every game. I think the whole one. team can be. I think the whole yeah. team can be tired. And remember, they were they were supposed to be giving him rest, right? Remember yeah. when, when Robin Leonard played in there? This is about the time in the playoffs where you would expect them to uh, roll out Robin tomorrow. But they can't down 2-1. No, you can't do it. There's no way you can do that. But if the you he- sat... If you sat Coach Pete in a, in you know a private room with no windows and no, no cameras, right? <laughs> and you said, you know, is this the spot that you wanted to sit him? He'd go, yeah, this is where we thought we'd sit him. But after the way he played in that game against Colorado, you can't play him. There is no way. No, and and I mean, Flory hasn't he hasn't looked slow yet, but he's had glimpses of going. And eh, I can see him being tired. I this mm-hmm. is about the time where. You hoped against Montreal, you're up 3-0, and you could just rest him for game four. And it's not just physical. There's a mental aspect of it, too. And I know he's a veteran, Tom. I know he's won Stanley Cups. I know he's going to the Hall of Fame. But how much does that goal he gave up eat away at him and then to lose in overtime as well? We'll see how he bounces back tomorrow. And let's not forget the Minnesota series. People just seem to forget that because all was right with the world in Colorado. Vegas struggled to get past Minnesota. I mean, they really got lucky to get past Minnesota, Tim. That's a grueling series in itself. Then you go out, you beat your rival in the kind of fashion that they beat them, you know, in that down 2-0. I mean, they beat their rival. That's mentally draining. And you feel, I don't care who you are, you're, you're a human being. You feel like, okay, now Montreal, we can sort of take a breath. And all of a sudden, no, 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 you can't. You can't take a breath. Grueling series in the first round, grueling series in the second round. It's been grueling in the third round. Montreal had a tough first-round series, but they kind of just coasted through Winnipeg. And I think you see that freshness and that desire now is there. And, you know, there's no better feeling, Tommy, than to be the underdog and be in control. And that's what they are right now. And their mindset, Vegas's mindset is, oh, man, we got to get past Montreal. We we can't let this happen to us again. And, you know, Montreal's mindset is, this is so cool. It's going, this is great, man. We got home court, oh, home ice. Oh, yeah, we're up 2-1. This is fantastic. It's a different vibe. When you walk in the house and you, you know, you talk to your wife and kids, you have two different vibes, you know, every day. Oh, honey, I just got a lot of stress on my head. I can't, we can't lose this series. It's a low, it's crazy. Oh, man, we're down 2-1. I don't know. I let up that goal. I don't know what's happening, man. This is rough. And Montreal's going, Ah, we're doing it. This is fantastic. Everyone, we're going out to dinner tonight. This is going to be great. It's a different world. <laughs> Game four tomorrow night in Montreal. Can't wait for the show tomorrow to talk about which end we'll be on come 24 hours from now. Let's take the final time out. When we return, a couple baseball notes as we move into a Father's Day Sunday. Here on E-Wave Sports, we'll be back after this short timeout. E-Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Top of the sixth and rookie sensation Ricky Vaughn on the pitch now. You can close the book on Kelder. Thank God. Relax, Ricky. We're only four runs now. We're still in this game. You take it to him? Oh, all right. Look, man. Guy gets a second, first sign indicator. Vaughn, a juvenile delinquent in the offseason in his Major League debut. I'm going to light your ass up, meat. 
Vaughn into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Ball four. Ball eight. Low and Vaughn has walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. Boy, how can these guys lay off pitches that close? Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. Tommy, I thought we were listening to play-by-play -play of the Diamondbacks here in the last month. What, unbelievably, how bad is this baseball team? Bob Uecker is the only thing that could save them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's damn near embarrassing to watch. I mean, they almost got no hit tonight, by the way, if you're keeping up on uh, how bad they are. And I know it was Walker Bueller on the hill, but just uh, there's no – unfortunately, in baseball, Tommy, there's no – there's no way to get better quickly. They're, they're just going to be bad. They're going to be bad, but here's the thing, though, Tim. There is some, I guess, hope on the horizon. If you could just kind of throw out this year, right? They do have Zach Gallon, so they have a, a budding ace. Paven Smith looked to be good. They have a good minor league system with Alec Thomas and a couple of other guys down there. Um, and they have guys that are going to be traded here. I, tomorrow morning... Sports Garden Network, hashtag SGN. I'm sitting down with Brian Hoke. He is the uh, Major League Baseball Network writer for the, the New York Yankees, and he covers the Yankees. His new book is out, by the way. Garrett Cole wrote the, writes the foreword. This isn't pushing it. It's a good book, right? And I, I talked to him about who the Yankees should get. And everyone's talking Trevor Story, Trevor Story. I don't know. The Yankees need a left-handed bat. The Yankees need a center fielder. Kettle Marte is the guy. And when I asked Brian about, you know, who are the minor leaguers that they're going to bring up? Well, they, they moved some guys up to kind of uh, display them, right? But one of the names he mentioned was a, a guy like Debbie Garcia. I think Kettle Marte is going to really fetch a pretty nice package back. You then go down the, the trough a little bit and you start to look at some other guys that the D-backs might be dealing. Tim, it's kind of impressive. They could deal two or three guys off of this team, and let's be honest, they're going to do it because they're not going to get any worse, right? They could deal two or three guys off of this team. They already have Baseball America top 10 farm system. They have guys on the Major League squad like a Pavin Smith and like a, a guy like a Zach Gallen. This team can turn it around rather quickly. Be, you know, look at look at Jose Ro or, Ro or Josh Rojas who came up this year, right? Came up this year. He's, he's doing okay. Nobody expected much out of him. Escobar could go. Marte could go. Um, I, I know Kelly got hurt today. Uh, Peralta could go. Nick Ahmed can go. Tim, there's a lot that can be done at the trading deadline. And you think about, let's say they trade those three guys. Peralta, Escobar, and Marte. And you get back four or five prospects. If two of them hit, Tim... You combine them with Zach Gallon, Paven Smith, one of their own prospects coming up, all of a sudden, Diamondbacks aren't that bad. So right now, bet against them constantly. No teams, I, me and you were talking about the futility of winning on the road, and I really dig into that tomorrow morning. You guys can go check it out at, at Wagering Week on the podcast. I'm going to dig into that big time. Teams that can't win on the road, Diamondbacks can't win anywhere. Bet on them, bet against them, bet against them on the road, bet against them overall. They're going to have a bad year. But D-back fans, if there are many D-back fans out there listening, I think that this is a, this team could turn it around quick. And all of a sudden, in 2023, Tim, D-backs could be back in this thing. So you don't think a, a total rebuild is necessary? 
I don't think so. I think they've already been in that total rebuild mode. You know, there are certain things that you need to have for a team to be successful. You need a sure number one starter. And I'm not saying an ace, right? You might have to go get an ace. But you need a guy that's a sure number one starter. I like a good back end of the bullpen, a guy you can rely upon so you don't lose leads late. And you like, you know, uh, two or three budding stars that if one of them becomes a dominant star, the other guy becomes, you know, a decent number two. I think they got that. I think they have Zach Allen. They don't have a, a, a closer, obviously, but they got Zach Allen, who is a clear number one. Caleb Smith looks like a decent number two starter. Their pitching looks okay. And they have two or three guys in the minor leagues that are supposed to be very good. And if they could go get one or two extra guys, Tim, I, I, no, I don't think this is a complete rebuild because I think they've already been rebuilding. When you look at teams like Baltimore and Texas and Pittsburgh and Colorado now, you know, teams that have to rebuild completely. And Baltimore has been at it now, year number three coming up. And already, Tommy, you look at the minor league system and, and their uh, their minor league teams are, most of them are in first or second place. You know, you see improvement there. And then you see teams like Colorado and Pittsburgh and, and for whatever, they just cannot get it right. And, it, you know, when I look at Arizona – yeah, they have. You're definitely right. They have a one there as long as he's healthy, and they have the pieces that Baltimore doesn't currently have that they can trade and get better prospects than what Baltimore could have gotten. So, you know, I'm but you with can't you say, but, but Tim, you can't say Pittsburgh doesn't get it right because that right now, if they had money to keep their guys, Garrett Cole is their number one, Jameson Tyon is their number two, Starling Marte is in that batting order, right? I mean, Pittsburgh develops players. Just right about the time they start to get good, they ship them out. So why do they have a team then? Well, that's that's the <laughs> question. I mean, look, you know, somebody asked me the other day, how would you fix baseball? And, you know, my initial response was going to be, get rid of the stupid extra inning rule, and but you know, the, the man on second. And I said, you know what? The reality is to fix Major League Baseball, we need a floor. And everyone talks about a ceiling. Yeah, you could put a ceiling in, but you need a floor. You got to go out there and spend. You you put a, a cap floor at $75, $80 million, you know, and put a ceiling at 250 if you want. And there'll be some disparity. But the fact that the Pittsburgh Pirates are making a profit every single year and fielding a team that is $25 million and they're trying to shed contract, it, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah, it shouldn't be right. I think I think I want to say it was around forty million was their their uh, estimated payroll, Tom. But th that's not like you said. If you doubled it, said, "Hey, look, you have to have at least eighty million. They're they're a competitive team at that point. They're they're in the chase for the playoffs. But they have a good developmental system. They just got that kid, Nick Gonzalez. He looks good. Their back end of their bullpen is constantly good. Think about all the closers that have come out of there recently, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you look at this team and you go, they have a good minor league system. But I could have said that 10 years ago. They have a decent relief staff. I could have said that 10 years ago. They have one or two star hitters. I could have said that 10 years ago, you know? I mean, look. Brian Hayes is going to be a great player, probably on the Yankees in five years. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the reality. I'm I'm kind of making a joke, but I'm kind of not. I remember doing radio in Pittsburgh with Josh Taylor, and I was raving about this kid that I could not wait 
eventually to get to the Yankees. It was a running joke, and his name was Garrett Cole. He was my favorite Pittsburgh Pirate. I knew that the Yankees drafted him. I knew he was a Yankee fan when he was a kid. All I kept talking about, and I said, you know what? And actually, it's going to be great when him and Tyone are both on the Yankees. Josh Taylor, he's from CBS Pittsburgh, texts me all the time, and he goes, I can't believe you called this all those years ago. Well, I'm doing it again here. Guys, Pittsburgh, they just can't keep them. So if you want to have a salary ceiling, you better get that floor first because the floor is hurting the sport more than the ceiling. Favorite time of year as well, Tom. Not not necessarily for the playoffs, right? Not because baseball's in, in full swing, but the college World Series is going on, man. What what's your how do you how do you approach the World Series? Do you pay attention to it? You know, I have I have some some investment in on Vanderbilt here in this this tournament and I know I didn't get great odds, but it's kind of leads into something that we you and I both love to watch and you know, after the NFL draft you say the Major League Baseball drafts right there for me and you, and, and this year it's happening in conjunction with the All-Star weekend, so we'll get it next month. But you get to see the guys that will be some of the top picks in the draft, and Vanderbilt has two pitchers in Lighter and Rocker that should go in the top six picks. So, you know, a little more extra incentive for me to watch other than betting on Vanderbilt, but I just like the the way its atmosphere is set up. You play, it was the original bubble, Tom, just outdoors. You get eight teams play on the same field in a tournament to decide who the national champion is going to be. Yeah, I'm surprised that NC State's doing so well, right? They're really turning some heads. I, I, I almost every year, look, I know you with Vanderbilt and, and the whole rest of the world. We can't deny what Vanderbilt might prob- probably is one of the best baseball programs. Obviously, I have a, a, a Florida State side to me, um, you know, because of, of who I live in my household with. But Mississippi State's the team that I, I think every single year comes in with some value. And every single year they produce uh, just – some great baseball year in and year out, but I am really shocked at what NC State's doing. They are turning heads. Yeah, they took out Arkansas in the sub-regional, which was was a strong team out of the SEC. And when you look at this tournament, right, you got Vandy in there, you got Tennessee, who a lot of people like as well. You assumed that Arkansas was going to be the, you know, they had the opportunity to have the top three schools there in the in the final eight. It just NC State put them on. Then NC State wins today convincingly. Keep an eye on Arizona, though. I know Vanderbilt beat them tonight, but Arizona, I think, had right around 10 to 1 odds in this series as well, Tommy. So, you know, double elimination. Anything can happen. you got to beat them twice, and that's why I like Vandy. When you have a, a, a strong number one and a strong number two, it's going to be tough to put them out. Who's your one there? I, I personally like Locker, Lighter more than Rocker, but I think yes. I'm in the minority. I like Lighter more than Rocker, and Lighter looks to be the, I guess, the, when we're looking at the draft, Tom, they're saying Lighter is going to go before Rocker, so we'll see. Uh, uh, Lighter goes to Pittsburgh and eventually winds up with the Yankees. I could go for that. Uh, yeah, and I'll take Rocker in Baltimore. We're okay with that too, right, Tom? I don't know about that. You don't want you guys can't develop an arm. Although Grayson Rodriguez and, and Dia Hall are trying to prove that wrong, but you you cannot develop an arm. We develop them right outside to other teams or out of baseball completely. That's what we tend to do. So. Ah, but you know what? Looks like your bats are coming around. I, I love, I told you, I love this kid, Cedric Mullins. He's looking fantastic. Real quickly, the and I know we can get into it a little more tomorrow, and I will have a lot more time. This thing that we touched on last week, and maybe just give a little tease, Tom, for this this substance deal with the pitching. It's it's getting bigger and bigger here now. You got Garrett Cole speaking out, and even Glasnow, who we broke the news last week that he was out. He's blaming the policy on why he has a torn UCL now. Yeah, he's blaming that. And tomorrow morning, I, I already did the interview with, with Brian Hoke. 
Um, you've got to listen to this because he has the pulse of the Yankees dugout and a massively unique take by Brian Oak about what the Yankees' unique take is. And basically, I'll give you a little preview. I want you guys to listen to the, to the podcast, though. It's wagering week. Um, basically, the Yankees think it's going to favor them. It, the guys in the dugout think it's going to favor them because not a lot of the Yankee pitchers were using it, and they feel like a lot of, of the batters were getting abused by it. And all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing the New York Yankees turn it up and, and click. Now, I talked to Brian Oak, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I pre-recorded the interview a couple days ago. The Yankees' offense is starting to turn around. It was a unique take all of a sudden to go, whoa, it's going to help the Yankees? And when you look at it and, and listen to how he frames it, makes a little bit of sense. So we got game one in the Western Conference Finals tomorrow. We got game four in the Stanley Cup playoffs. College World Series, Major League Baseball, busy, busy Father's Day Sunday. Let everybody know about the website. And, of course, you just said it. Again, tell everybody where the the podcast is available. You know I'm going to be listening to it on my way home from work tonight. Yeah, guys, listen, we're at 105 stations across America syndicated. If you miss it at 11 a.m. tomorrow, uh, that's East Coast time. Well, you could always catch the interview portions on Wagering Week. It's Wagering Week. That's a podcast. Like, subscribe. Check it all out. This week, we're going to have Brian Hoke. Next week, we're going to have Michael Kay, among others, uh, for next week's show. So getting getting into the nitty-gritty of Major League Baseball. You guys can go check out TomBartonSports.com, though. Have you checked out what I've done this month? Tim, I know you have. Absolutely crushing it. I am damn near 90% this month. And I am have already two plays up tomorrow. One, a nice fat underdog. So, got to go check that out. It's TomBartonSports.com, guys. TomBartonSports.com. Sign up for less than $100. You get every single play that I select for the next 30 days. It's TomBartonSports.com. Tom, props on the other day. You had the under five Nats, Mets. The game finished one nothing. Yeah, it was nothing, nothing uh, after five. I felt good. <laughs> that's that, that's the kind of games I like. I don't want these nail biters. Oh, it's a good game. No, I don't care about a good game. I just want to win. Yeah. Well, have a good Father's Day with your family. We will uh, recap your Father's Day tomorrow night. One of the better fathers I know, probably one of the best fathers I know out there, Tim, is you and, and enjoy it. I know you're going to have a good day tomorrow. Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. Have a good one. For Tom Barton, for DeMond Cotton, Tim Ungles, we have a great Father's Day Sunday. All you dads out there, enjoy the sports. And we're going to break it down all for you tomorrow night at 10 o'clock right here. Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 98 FM, 1340 AM. Good night. Have a good one.